coming of Christ, the light of the world. Come, Lord, Lord Jesus. light which enlightens everyone is coming into the world. Come, Lord Jesus. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Christ shine in your church today. Thank you. It's always a bit daunting for the people who have to light the first candle. It's always like, which one should we we go for? So brilliant. That's our first candle lit on our Advent wreath this year. And so we're going to join together in our first Advent hymn. Occasionally people say, why can't we sing carols all through Advent? Well, there's kind of a clue in the title that they're Christmas carols. And this is Advent. So we're going to have Advent hymns. And we're going to start with, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. So we're going to come to God in prayer. It's a really manky day, isn't it? It's horrible and wet and dreary and dreary and every word you can think of that's not nice. And so we're going to come to God in prayer with some space just to be, to be still. And then after that prayer, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer. And 
as I say every week, we say that in whatever language and version we know best and is most meaningful for us. So let's pray together. Loving God, on this first Sunday of the season of Advent, we come just as we are to worship you. Just four short weeks to prepare for all the Christmas festivities will offer us and demand of us. And so on this first Sunday of Advent, we pause just for a few moments to sit quietly in your presence, perhaps allowing ourselves simply to be, or maybe opening our hearts or minds to you, naming the thoughts and feelings that fill our every waking moment. Traditionally, Advent has been understood as a penitential season, a time of spiritual preparation, not only for Christmas, but for the life of eternity. And so we take a few moments more to recognise, name and release to you anything we now regret about the past few days. Gentle God, who forgives our transgressions and chooses to remember them no more. As we meet in the name of your Son, Jesus, help us to trust in this promise and to hear, as from him, these words. Your sins are forgiven. Eternal God, having paused ever so briefly to enjoy the quietness of your ever-present embrace, Now we join our voices with countless others in the prayer Jesus gave his followers as we pray together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
I want to start by giving a quick plug for something called Alternativity. Uh, I first came across Alternativity a very long time ago when I lived in Manchester. I'm not sure why I discovered it in Manchester about 14, 15 years ago, but it was quite new then. But if you want to know more about it, do speak to Leanne, because Leanne is very involved with it. It's a really great way to prepare ourselves for Christmas, journey through Advent in a way that helps us to avoid some of the relentless materialism and expectation uh, and just do what works for us, and it's great. Um, We're going to adapt one of the um, activities that Alternativity offers um, as our all-age bit for the next few weeks. So I wonder if um, any of the young folk would like to come out and help me. I've got a very boring-looking box. Do you want to come and see what's in my very, very boring-looking brown box? Okay, Koki. I think we might need to bob down because some people are quite small, aren't they? So that's probably wiser. And also the grown-ups can't see a thing through the heads of the tall people. So who would like to take the lid off for me? Go on then, Fergus, you take the lid off. Okay, so what's the first thing you can see in there? What's that? An angel. Would you like to hold the angel, Carl? And who's this person, do you think? Mary. Mary. Well done, Rory. So Carl and... Rory, would you like to put the angel and Mary on the communion table for us? Because this is the first part of the story of Christmas, leading up to Christmas, isn't it? And an angel and Mary, can you think what's part of the story that might be? Freya? Is that what you thought, Fergus? Yep. When the angel told Mary she was going to have a baby. So we put a bit more of the story on the table each week. But that's not the main thing for today. What else have we got in here? Some, we'll get to those in a minute. Yeah, we've got a paintbrush and some glue. We'll get to those in a minute. What's this? An apron, you think? Could be. Tablecloth. An advent calendar. Well done, Amelia. It is. It's an advent calendar. But you know what? This is the most boring advent calendar you ever did see. So, um, I wonder if Sarah and Sam, can you come and help me pin this up? over there and perhaps if six people could take the first six stars out of the box that would be great we need to pin, pin this up on the wall they've got the numbers on them so I'll know if you get the wrong ones if you're cheating so there should be some nice stars in there green stars right um, Sarah can you pop a pin in the middle oops Sam can you pop a pin in there for me <laughs> it to pin that up because that's a very very boring advent calendar isn't it just some squares are they going in just talk amongst yourself everybody while we fight with the pins sorry sam that's going to be the hardest bit of that board that there is right can we get some in the bottom as well maybe can you pop one in the bottom that's it fantastic okay we managed to oh sorry we're throwing drawing pins everywhere maybe get one in down there somewhere Okay, if people manage to find six stars, fantastic. Who's got number one? Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to read these out to everybody. And these are the first six days of the Alternativity Starbucks Advent Calendar that we're making. So you've got to try and remember these things. Um, but you could also go online and have a look for the thing yourself. And what I'd like you to do when you've um, read it, I'll put that down there for a minute, is to go and stick it on... The calendar uh, looks like, oh, there's some grown-ups here that can help su- supervise sticking on. That's fantastic. Don't worry if we make a mess. It's okay. They can only sack me once. Right, who's got number one, the 1st of December? So do you want to come and read that for us, Carl? Um, it's quite a lot of words. So you listen carefully, grown-ups, because he's got a whole thing, so you can do that. Waiting can be sometimes very painful. But at this time of the year, it is the same of waiting in joy and happiness. This is often a time when we look forward with hope, hope for ourselves and for our community. Stop for a while and think about your hopes. Wear a red ribbon today for a World AIDS Day for those who wait with little hope. Fantastic, thank you. So that's a reminder that we can wait with hope. Do you want to go and stick that on, Carl? Um, I've got two microphones going here. Sorry. One or the other. Um, (laughs) So 
that's the 1st of December to start our, our journey of hope, but also to remember people who are affected by HIV AIDS on World AIDS Day. Who's got number two? Right, do you want to come and read that for us? There's some really good reading because there's some quite complicated words, aren't there? It is appropriate that many of the days in December highlight the situation of those less fortunate. Take some time to enjoy the sweetness of the chocolate and remember the bitterness of the lives of many who are still enslaved. International Day Against Slavery. Thank you. Do you want to go and stick that one on? So the 2nd of December, International Day Against Slavery. Enjoy some chocolate. Uh, I only have chocolate for young people, and these are to be taken home, not eaten during the service, otherwise I'm going to have all mummies and daddies really cross with me. But um, Freya, can you take those to Sunday school and make sure that everybody gets one at the end of Sunday school? Who's got the 3rd of December? Amelia, can you read that for us? Plan today to invite some friends for... um fair trade, tier, coffee, chat about Advent and Christmas and some of the things you you would like to change. Suggest that together you could agree to make one change this year. Well done, thank you. So a focus on fair trade. We're a fair trade church and I know lots of people have fair trade. But also on communities to invite friends around to have a cup of coffee. Who's got the 4th of December? Freya. <laughs> yeah, just chuck them at Sarah, that's okay. Turn over your stir and use the blank side as a focused space for silence. Be still for a moment and then place a pen in the lid as a symbol of all those with whom you've lost touch. What good news could you share with them as Christmas approaches? Okay, thank you. So we're not going to turn it over, but there's a space to think about people we've lost touch with. I don't know about you, but I was going, I've been going through my Christmas list and thinking, oh gosh... I've not had any contact with that person all year. So there might be people we've not had contact with that we, we could think about one day this week. Right, who's got number five? Come on then, Aidan. Fantastic. Priscilla walks five miles every day to a job in Lusaka, Zambia. She earns 65p a day beating carpets. That's less than the price of a Christmas card. Recognise the wealth that is your own Christmas card list. So a lady who, walks, who beats carpet for 65 pence a day. I think it would be quite a posh card for 65p, but even so, it's, it's about the cost of a Christmas card that she gets. And then I think you must have number six then, yeah? Can you, can you read that? It's got a long one there, haven't you? Place a favourite cup beside the Starbucks. Think of those whose company you enjoy. Then think of another company who has shared this cup. The growers of tea and coffee, the pickers and many more spare a thought, a thought for their lives and find out more about fair trade. So another reminder to think about fair trade. Thank you for that. Some fantastic reading. And they're up there on the Advent calendar, so you can go and have a look at them any time after the service or in the weeks ahead to remind yourself. And even if you can't remember to do all of them, perhaps there's one thing each week that you'll think, yeah, actually, I could do that one. That will help me as I prepare on my journey towards Christmas, thinking about others and thinking what it's all about that doesn't need to cost lots and lots of money. So we're going to sing another Advent hymn now. Earth was waiting, spent and restless. And after that, the children will go to share in their own classes.
First reading is Psalm 62 and page 572. Confidence in God's protection. I wait patiently for God to save me. I depend on him alone. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender and I shall never be defeated. How much longer will all of you attack someone who is no longer than a broken down fence? You only want to bring him down from his place of honour. You take pleasure in lies. You speak words of blessing, but in your heart you curse him. I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender, and I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honour depend on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. Trust in God at all times, my people. Tell him all your troubles, for he is our refuge. Human beings are all like a puff of breath. Great and small alike are worthless. Put them on the scales and they weigh nothing. They are lighter than a mere breath. Don't put your trust in violence. Don't hope to gain anything by robbery. Even if your riches increase, don't depend on them. More than once I've heard God say that power belongs to him and that his love is constant. You yourself, O Lord, reward everyone according to his deeds. The second reading is Isaiah chapter 40. Chapter 40, verses 21 to 31. Do do you not know? Were you not told long ago? Have you not heard how the world began? It was made by the one who sits in his throne above the earth and beyond the sky. The people below look as tiny as ants. He stretched out the sky like a curtain, like a tent in which to live. He brings down powerful rulers and reduces them to nothing. They are like young plants, just set out and barely rooted. When the Lord sends a wind, they dry up and blow away like straw. To whom can the the holy God be compared? Is there anyone else like him? Look up at the sky. Who created the stars you see? The one who leads them out like an army. He knows how many there are and calls each one by name. His power is so great, not one of them is ever missing. Israel, why then do you complain that the Lord doesn't know your troubles or care if you suffer injustice? Don't you know, haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He created all the world. He never grows tired or weary. No one understands his thoughts. He strengthens those who are weak and tired. Even those who are young grow weak. Young people can fall exhausted, but those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. They will rise in wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow weak.
I'm sure I've said it before. Uh, sometimes sermons behave, and sometimes they don't. And this has been a week where, frankly, it didn't. I had lots of ideas, but they didn't ever really come together into a nice, coherent sermon. So, no exegesis, no exposition, nor yet a narrative to offer today, but rather some thoughts about the nature of waiting and how we experience it in this short season that is Advent. And we're going to do that largely through three poems. And what better place to start than with Dr. Seuss of Cat in the Hat fame. Waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or no or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. So is he right? Is it the case that everyone is waiting? That waiting is some sort of a universal experience? Well, clearly at one level, of course he is, because everybody sometimes has to wait. Whether or not we specifically identify that as a waiting time or a waiting place or not. And sometimes what we're waiting for is quite trivial, waiting for a bus. Other times, it may be profoundly significant. But is it the case, as the poet asserts, that everyone is just waiting? That all people everywhere are in some kind of waiting place? And if they are, what is it that they, or we, are waiting for? Something fleeting or something permanent? Something time-bound or something eternal? Something personal or something universal? At one level, it's a really simple poem, probably aimed for children, I guess. But like all the best poetry, it makes us think, or it makes me think anyway, Everyone is just waiting. Isn't that what Advent is about? About people together just waiting. A universal experience, or at least a community experience of waiting. Perhaps that is Advent defined in non-religious language. Another poem. Or, to be more honest, just a few extracts on it, because it's a very long poem and we don't have time for all of it. It's called Waiting, and it's written by Faith Wilding. Waiting. 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 Waiting for someone to come in. Waiting for someone to hold me waiting for someone to feed me, waiting for someone to change my diaper, waiting. Waiting to scrawl, to walk, waiting to talk, waiting to be cuddled, waiting for someone to take me outside, waiting for someone to play with me, waiting for someone to take me outside, waiting for someone to read to me, dress me, tie my shoes, waiting for mummy to brush my hair, waiting for her to curl my hair, waiting for my frilly dress, waiting to be a pretty girl, waiting to grow up, waiting. And then on through childhood, puberty, marriage, motherhood, middle age, and still waiting. 
waiting to lose weight, waiting for the first grey hair, waiting for menopause, waiting to grow wise, waiting. Waiting for my body to break down, to get ugly, waiting for my flesh to sag, waiting for my breasts to shrivel up, waiting for a visit from my children, for letters, waiting for my friends to die, waiting for my husband to die, waiting. Waiting to get sick, waiting for things to get better, waiting for winter to end, waiting for the mirror to tell me I'm old, waiting for a good bowel movement, waiting for the pain to go away, waiting for the struggle to end, waiting for release, waiting for mourning, waiting for the end of the day, waiting for sleep, waiting. In this extended poem, I think it takes about 15 minutes I think, uh, to read the whole thing properly, the entire life of a woman is viewed as waiting. Waiting for the next milestone in development or the next phase in the ageing process. Waiting for love to be expressed. Waiting for new experiences. And in the end, waiting to die. I think it's a beautiful and profound poem and well worth reading. It names areas and aspects of women's experience that aren't often heard. And yet at the same time, it seems to me deeply sad. Life views as an endless, relentless act of waiting and never quite arriving because each experience is merely a gateway to a new phase of waiting. There seems to be no opportunity to savour the moment, to enjoy the now. And that got me thinking about how I, and therefore how we, may perceive times of waiting. Are they just a transition to yet more waiting? Do we never actually arrive anywhere? Or is it possible and is it permissible just to pause and savour places and moments along the way? Is Advent just about waiting for Christmas, which in turn becomes waiting for New Year's resolutions, which means we get to disappointment and then we get to Lent? Or does the poem remind us that each moment, that each season is precious in and of itself? That whilst of course we go onwards in time, and whilst there are always new experiences ahead of us, We're not just passive participants in the sweep of history. We actually can choose how we react. I wonder if that poem resonates for anybody today. And if so, I wonder if it offers any insights that may be helpful in travelling those four weeks to Christmas. And indeed, beyond. The third poem is one that I once upon a time knew off by heart. I can still picture where I sat in the classroom when we had to learn this as one of our poems. It was actually the greater part of 50 years ago, so I've forgotten it. Waiting, waiting, waiting for the party to begin. Waiting, waiting, waiting for the laughter and the din. Waiting, 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 with hair just so, and clothes trim and tidy from top knot to toe. The floor is all shiny, the lights are ablaze, the sweetmeats in plenty, and cakes beyond praise. All the games and the dancing, the tricks and the toys, the music and the madness, the colour and the noise. Waiting, waiting, waiting for the first knock on the door. Was ever such waiting, such waiting before? What I loved about this poem as a child who was eight, which is not 50 years ago in case you're trying to do the maths, uh, what I still love is the feeling it evokes. 
waiting characterised by a sense of anticipation and delight. That knot of excitement in your tummy. Those new party clothes that are just a little bit uncomfortable. Your freshly scrubbed face and your hair brushed back to the inch of its life. Well, mine always was anyway. That moment before it all happens... Will delight be realised or is disappointment just a breath away? If Dr. Seuss is right in observing that waiting is a universal experience, and I think it's probably true that he is, and if Faith Wilding is right in recognising that it permeates the whole of our lives with the potential to become the whole of life, then what James Reeves adds in this poem is that all waiting has an emotional, experiential quality to it. Waiting for the party to begin, for a child anyway, is characterised by excitement, anticipation, wonder and delight. You see them, don't you? Little children jumping up and down. They can't wait. But then there's other kinds of waiting. In the doctor's surgery or the hospital waiting room, where the knot in the stomach has a different quality... Nervousness, anxiety, fear or dread can all be present. Or outside the interview room. Or holding the envelope that will tell you whether you passed the exam or got the job. Or at the railway station or the airport. Each waiting is different from any other. Rarely is it bland or indifferent. Often it is very much an embodied experience. And in extremis, it can affect our muscles, our stomachs, our bowels, our bladders, our blood pressure, our pulse rate, and so on. It can be joyful. It can be terrifying. It can be every possible emotion we can imagine. And that makes me wonder about the quality of my Advent waiting and of our Advent waiting Does it really impact us, or is it just lip service? If I'm honest, it's probably at least 20 years and maybe more since I felt any sense of excitement at the prospect of Christmas. And since I became a minister, Advent is just a busy time, where if it wasn't for the deliberate pauses of midweek reflections, it could pass me by unnoticed in just a sea of activity. For some people, Advent might be filled with anxiety, dread, loneliness, emptiness. This kind of horrible, dark time of the year and and loneliness and no one to share with, no one to send cards to or receive cards from. For others, it can be characterised by a glut of parties. How many Christmas dinners are some people eating this year? Or the pressures of deadlines at work or planning to go and visit relatives, or go on work trips, or whatever it is. And maybe it's worth us taking a moment to look into our hearts and our minds, and just see what are the qualities that are affecting our Advent this year. And it's probably a mixture, it's probably not all one thing or all another. I think each of these poems offer us a valuable insight But of course, for us as Christians, there is something missing, at least overtly, because they make no mention of a spiritual dimension to the waiting. No reference to the place of faith in informing and shaping what we experience. The Old Testament, I think, more than the New, is replete with expressions of exasperated human beings for whom the process of waiting seems interminable to whom it can seem that God is silent or doesn't care or maybe has even gone away. And yet, within all of that, we're granted glimpses of people whose faithful waiting does find a happy resolution. Perhaps Hannah, the mother of Samuel, or Anna and Simeon, the two elderly faithful folk who waited patiently for the coming of Messiah, refusing to give up hope, even when events suggested that they were foolish in the extreme. I always forget that we use the Good News Bible as our pew Bible here, 
And I always forget that it messes all the words up. So I had two readings that talked about waiting, uh, and neither of them used it, but there we go. Psalm 62 is an incredible psalm. It's really honest, it's brutally so, but it's steadfast in expressing trust in God that requires patient waiting. Here it is in the NRSV, which is a slightly more accurate translation than the good news. Verses 1 and 2. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. And then again, just a couple of verses later in verses 5 and 6. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. For my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. In the midst of struggle, questioning, doubt and pain, still the psalmist holds fast to his conviction that God is dependable. That whatever is going on outside, inside, he manages to hold on. And he waits patiently or silently for God. Now, this is not a kind of twee Christian panacea. It's not, hey, praise the Lord, life's a bitch. Anything but. This is a gritty determination to hang on. Something that we also hear in the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 40 is often used in Advent. It begins with the prophecy that we hear as referring to John the Baptist. And then it goes on to these well-loved words. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and he strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting is an inevitable part of human experience. And in this translation, at least, waiting for God perhaps even understood in an eschatological way as the waiting of Advent, it's demanding. It can be wearying. It can be exhausting. It can be seemingly never-ending. How long, O God, is the cry that rings through the Old Testament? But for those who will doggedly hang on in there, it's a promise that God will renew their strength that they will find new energy and new stamina to carry on the journey of faith to which they're called. Perhaps at the start of Advent this year, it's wise for us to take a moment or two to become aware of how we feel. To be aware of any waiting that affects our own daily lives, as well as the purpose of the Advent season. And to remind ourselves of the promise that the God for whom we wait so patiently is trustworthy. A God who will restore and renew us all. Amen. So we're going to sing a version of that, or a hymn that's based on a version of that psalm now. I waited patiently for God.
Our prayers of intercession today have got a sung response, which is printed on the sheet and is also on screen. It's a Taze chant, wait for the Lord whose day is near, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart. And the cue for that will be when I say the words, we wait for the Lord. So let us pray together. God before time, God within time, God beyond time, ever present, yet for whom we must sometimes wait, we bring to you our prayers for others and for each other. For those we learn about in the news, for refugees and asylum seekers, fleeing persecution and fear, waiting patiently for boats, buses and trains, finding themselves delivered to places they've never heard of, in lands they have only dreamed of. And for those in government, refugee and charitable organisations who must daily face the heart-aking challenge of decision-making in impossible situations. We wait for the Lord. For those who wait in queues at food banks and in benefits offices, who attend job clubs or soup kitchens, enforced patients in the face of legalised injustice. And for those who give their time and energy, employed or voluntary, to fill in forms, process claims and distribute basic essentials. We pray, thankful for people of goodwill who seek to make the intolerable a little more tolerable and crying out for the justice of those in need. We wait for the Lord. For those who wait for medical appointments or test results. Enforced patients in the face of human uncertainty and financial constraints. And for those who work long, unsociable hours to staff clinics, treatment and surgical facilities, we pray. Thankful for those who remain committed to the NHS in all its forms. Seeking to bring hope and wholeness to vulnerable people. We wait for the Lord. who wait for news that will determine the direction their lives and those of their family will take and for those who must prepare letters, emails contracts or terms of redundancy, we pray thankful for those whose work is in human resources, trades unions and conciliatory services seeking fairness and transparency in complex and sometimes intractable situations. We wait for the Lord. 
for ourselves and for those we love, each with our own waiting places, our own emotional and physical responses to the circumstances in which we find ourselves, maybe wearied and worried, maybe energised and excited, maybe something else altogether. In the silence, we open our hearts to you, O God, and cry out with our own needs. We wait for the Lord. prayers in Jesus' name.
God who shares our waiting. God who understands us better than we can ever understand ourselves. We know that you gratefully receive whatever we offer. And so we bring these gifts of money and with them ourselves, pledging to use them wisely, to share the good news and to extend the kingdom of peace. Amen. I'm not sure if it's appropriate to end with heaven shall not wait, but it just somehow seems to be an important thing to remind ourselves in the waiting, in our frustration, that actually Jesus is Lord and God is active. In Common Ground number 49, heaven shall not wait for the poor to lose their patience. We stand, if we're able, as we sing.